morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We are almost through 2 Peter. We will preach one more sermon on 2 Peter. And then we'll move somewhere else. I'm, I'm, I said a little bit about it earlier, but I'm very thankful for to have Thanksgiving here in America again. And one of the things that my wife and I tried to do living overseas was to let other people appreciate Thanksgiving and just a, a way to, for them to understand our culture, but also um, giving thanks to the Lord for all things. And so we would invite a lot of Americans over to our house, and then we'd invite a lot of, of uh, New Zealanders and Australia and people from other countries over. And they would say, well, what's Thanksgiving about? And I would tell them the story, and then we would eat. And inevitably, our friends from the South that would come over, they would bring two things. You might know what they are. One, they would bring a sweet potato casserole, which is just covered with brown sugar. And second, they'd bring a, some kind of pretzel salad. You know that? You know? And pretzels on the bottom and, yeah, that stuff on top. And so the New Zealanders would think, oh, no, that's dessert. And we'd say, no, 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 that's, that's Thanksgiving meal. And so they would eat it, and at the end, when we were talking about it, they would say, okay, so I'm thinking that Thanksgiving is about having dessert first. <laughs> we said, well, maybe that is what Thanksgiving's about in the South, having dessert first. But we're excited to celebrate that. And just a time to reflect on God's goodness to our country. Uh, especially just the early bringing of the gospel here. Second Peter chapter 3, uh, starting at around verse 8. So I want to give you just some, a little bit of history of where we've been. Peter is writing to address the false teachers that have very much infiltrated the church through what is modern day Turkey. And in chapter 3... One of the things that they are doing is they are scoffing, these false teachers are scoffing at the apostles' teaching, especially about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And what we see is two main ways that they're doing this. First, from verse 4, they're teaching that nothing will change. And so they say, look back at the history of the world. God created it. He set it in motion. He has not intervened again. And, of course, Peter begins to explain, well, God creating the world in the very beginning is his intervention, isn't it? And then he intervened in a flood, and then Peter points him forward and says, and he'll intervene when he comes back a second time. Now, their, their second great objection as they scoff at the apostles' teaching is, where is he? It's been 30-something years. Where is Jesus? If he was coming back, wouldn't he be here? And Peter picks up that in verse 7, and he begins to unpack that almost to the end of the book. And so that's where we're going to pick up with him as he describes what the new heavens and the new earth will be like when Christ comes again. Now, endings of stories are the most important part, aren't they? Right? They make a story. If the ending is bad, you wish you'd never seen the movie or never read the book. It is the end that allows us to see and puts together and weaves all the pieces together, doesn't it? Especially if it's a good ending. It is the end of the story of Scripture that ties everything up. 
together, explains it. The garden, the temple, the cross, the resurrection, and helps make sense of the whole story from Genesis all the way down. When we understand the end, it gives us a future hope, knowing what lies before us and enables us to persevere in a broken world, doesn't it? This morning, we're going to just scratch the surface lightly in looking at the new heavens and the new earth and the eternal hope that God's people have. And we're going to bounce around a little bit this morning, so we're going to go from 2 Peter to Revelation because we need to get a wider picture of what the new heavens and new earth will be. Okay? So let's just pray for our time. Father, we thank you that we see that again and again, the Word. When Christ comes back, it'll be the Word. He'll speak the Word and transform things. And we thank you for your Word. And just, they're simple words, but it's the Holy Spirit that takes them up like a sword to penetrate our hearts and our minds, to divide soul and spirit and joint and marrow, thought from intention. Lord, and we need that now. As your people here, we come to worship. We come needing spiritual nourishment, God. Not just our minds filled with knowledge, but our heart engaged in worshiping the living God and all the spiritual refreshment that comes from that. Lord, use your word now to encourage us, Lord, and be worshiped. pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you're in the Christian world, it doesn't take very long to see that there are lots of different views on end times, right? And some people are very passionate about their view, even making movies about it. In my mind, the one that best fits the whole story of Scripture when you think about new heavens and new earth is the idea of the restoration, or you might call it restorational view. That God is going to restore all things the way they were before sin, except even greater Let me explain. The Bible begins with a creation story in Genesis 1-2 and ends with one as well, doesn't he? A recreation story. In Revelation 20-22, we see it. A new heaven and new earth coming down. God ends the story very similar to how it began. We see a river of life back, don't we? We see a tree of life there. We see where God has made all things new again. And the Lord now again walks in the cool of the day with his people. Where Jesus makes all things new and reigns over all things. Now, we actually sing about this in Isaac Watts' famous hymn, Joy to the World, don't we? He describes it very well. Let me just give you his words. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace, 
and makes the nation prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders of his love. Joy to the world is very much about the king coming, coming down to earth, and when he does, let all nature sing. Joy to the world, earth, fields, rocks, plains, sing with joy. Why? Because as far as the curse of sin is found, Christ will abolish it, will judge it, and will restore all things. No more will it reign over our world. What wonders of his love. Now in 2 Peter 3, Peter gives, begins to answer the objections about Christ coming again. And what we see in his explanation is a picture of the coming of Christ. The cleansing of the earth with fire and a new heavens and a new earth where God again dwells with his people. Now many Christians have bought or been taught a very different story. A story that can be a bit like Star Wars where the Death Star explodes with fire and Luke and others take off just to escape in time. That because of sin, the earth will be destroyed by fire. Man will lose his home and we're going to go and be in some floaty heaven place forever. But that's not the Bible story at all. God will not concede his creation to sin and destroy it. God is committed to redeeming what he has made. And that starts with the heart of men as he transforms the lives of people. But he finishes with creation. God's world being cleansed, purified to be a place like it was before the fall where God dwells and walks with his people. In other words, heaven will come to earth because Christ will be here again. So the beginning of the story will be the end of the story except far greater. His people will dwell with him. So here's the main idea. Heaven will begin on earth when Christ comes again making all things new. Now, I want to say this real fast before I jump into this. Wonderful, godly men and women disagree on this. And I might be wrong. As I've searched the scriptures, and I encourage you to search it out yourself. In fact, as I read some of the early church fathers, I found that even they disagreed on what would happen with the earth. Justin Martyr believed that one thing would happen, other fathers believed something else. So, I show a lot of grace and respect to people, and we should, that don't necessarily hold this view. Now, two things we want to see here. Heaven the place and heaven the people. Let's start with this. Heaven the place. A new heavens and a new earth. Now I want to read three verses here. 2 Peter 3.13. And then I'll jump into Revelation 21. But according to his promise, we are waiting on a new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 21.1 Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now Old Testament, Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Our home is this world. Psalm 115, 16. 
The heavens are the Lord's heavens. The earth has been given to the children of men. The world has always been our home, created for us uniquely, and always will be. God's goal in Christ is not just to save souls, but to restore his world. Jesus is coming to bring his people eternal life on earth. So, God doesn't just love the souls of men. He loves all of his creation. And will redeem it. Like Isaac says, as far as the curse is found. Now, here's the problem. The world was affected by the fall. All of it, not just man. Genesis 3.17 Cursed is the ground because of Adam's sin. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So it's not just our lives that are sick because and need redeeming. It's the very world that we live in. There's a reason that food is hard to grow and those worms always eat up all my tomatoes. Storms are devastating. Earthquakes shatter our cities. Drought destroys our country. And even God's creation groans to be free. In the same way that we groan to be free from this flesh, that is, the sin of my flesh, so does creation. Listen to how Paul puts it in Romans 8, verse 19 and 20. For creation waits with eager longing. Love that. Creation waits with eager longing. For the revealing of the Son of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When Christ comes again, he will make all things new. He will set creation free from the effects of sin. It will be the perfect home for man that he created it to be. Isn't that awesome? So what does new mean? Okay, Rusty, I see that. New heavens, new earth. What does new mean? Well, that's the big question. The Bible has two words for new. One is for brand new, and another one is for transformed. In Revelation 21, when it talks about a new heavens and new earth, the word that's used there is transformed or rejuvenated, not replaced. Everything affected by sin will be made new, cleansed, purified. Christ came to make all of God's creation new. Now this is very similar to how God describes his work in you, isn't it? When you become a Christian, you are renewed, you're restored, you're regenerated. You have a new birth, you're a new creation, you have a new heart. You're a same person. It doesn't blow up your body and give you a new body. But it gives you new ability. It cleanses you. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 30 and 31. For this world in its present form is passing away. The form of this world will pass away, not the world itself. So Christ will redeem all things from the effects of sin, including the the world we live in. Now, how will he do this? I thought the world was going to burn and be destroyed and God was going to make a completely new earth. Well, 
I would say it's not annihilation, but it's cleansing. 2 Peter 3.7, if you'll look in your Bibles with me, and verses 10 to 13, and I'll just combine those. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be found. Notice, he says the promise is a new heavens and a new earth, so the question is, will God annihilate the world with fire, or will he make something new, renew what he's already made? Well, this fire is described with two words, burning and dissolving. Do you see those words there in your Bible? First, burning. Think cleansing by fire, not annihilating by fire. He is building on how the Old Testament prophets use the word fire. Malachi from the Old Testament, listen to this, and this is what Peter is building on. Malachi 3.2. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Notice this. For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. Fire is often used, especially by the prophets, for cleansing and purifying. You clean something with fire. And I think that's exactly how he uses it here. Now, the second word that's used there, if you notice in your scripture, is dissolving. Which means, in the Greek, to be loosed, to be untied, to be let go. So when we put these two things together, Peter is saying when Jesus comes again to judge all things, he will make a new earth, an earth that's let go from the chains of sin, cleansed from its pollution, And the fire will be the refiner's fire, burning up the corruption in our world, making all things new. Now, let me just pause there. As I was just reflecting on it this morning, you know, our Lord is a consuming fire, isn't he? Isn't that how God describes himself, as a consuming fire? And when Christ comes into your life and transforms you, cleanses you, it says it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Well, the fire is Christ coming into your life and transforming you. And that's exactly what we see here happening when Christ comes again. In my opinion, it will be the fire of his glory, his white, hot glory that transforms all things in heaven and on earth. Now, let's go a touch further and wrap that up. He closes with verse 10. Verse 10. And this kind of, in my mind, weds it together. So look at verse 10 with me. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed or laid bare or found. I think found is the best way to translate that. Now, in the midst of the language about the earth dissolving, what does it mean that the earth will be found? You see that there? What does it mean it'll be found? Does Peter say anything like that somewhere else, Rusty, that I can, I can pull and understand? Oh, yes, he does. 1 Peter 1.7. If you have your Bibles, flip there. Flip there. Notice how similar these two passages are. 
and just shout out when you got it. All right, all right, that sounds good. I'll read it. 1 Peter 1, 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see that? Very similar. Purified by fire, second coming of Christ, and found, same word. So, Peter closes by saying, the earth, verse 10, the earth and the works on it will be found purified by the coming of Christ. Christ will cleanse and purify all of his creation that had been polluted by sin. He loves it all, and he'll purify and cleanse it all. One of the reasons this is important to understand is so we don't return to the mistakes that the church has made in the past. And one of them is an idea of what's called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism was a heresy in the early church, and it taught that everything physical was bad, and everything spiritual was good. So your body and your world are bad. Just the soul is what counts. So salvation in Jesus frees us from this terrible body in the world. And what it leads to is a deep hatred for almost everything in God's world. Nothing is ever spiritual enough for the Christian. And escapism, where Christians huddle up and hide from the world. Around 1735, any fans of John and Charles Wesley here? I'm a double fan. I like both those guys. Founders of the Methodist Church and two of my heroes. And they were students at Oxford in 1735. And they were so passionate about the things of God, they wanted to be holy. And so they started something called the Holy Club in Oxford. And the Holy Club was 25 men that got together. And they wrote 21 resolutions. And every day they went through those resolutions. And their goal was to beat their flesh into submission. To overcome their sin by their own strength. The problem was many of these men were not Christians yet. They weren't converted. They were just religious. They didn't understand the gospel. So they fasted weeks on end, hiding from the world, some even beating their flesh. One of their members died. And of the great evangelist George Whitfield, this is what was recorded of his life as he was part of that group when he was young. Many days and weeks of fasting and all the other tortures to which he had exposed himself so undermined his health that he was never again a well man. Jesus affirms the goodness of our body. Please listen. In this world, we live in by taking on a body and living in his world as a man. The body is good, but sin in our nature is what is bad. Often we have the right desire, but we have the wrong application. We hate the wrong things. We have the wrong enemies. So instead of hating creation in my body, we should groan for freedom from the curse of sin in my body and in the world. Sin is our enemy and not the world and not our bodies. I long for those little worms to stop eating my peppers and tomatoes. There is a real tension here. 
Because at this point, earth is where we live, but it is not our eternal home until Jesus comes again and makes it new. My flesh is sinful until Jesus comes again. This world will be broken until Christ returns. And until he comes, this world will not feel like our home in so many ways. We'll be strangers and pilgrims. But once he makes all things new, it will be our eternal home. Last thought here before we move on. Scripture tells us very little about the nature of this new earth. And usually what it tells us is what will not be there. Corruption, weakness, dishonor, death, pain. But the main point of what the new heavens and new earth is, is what will be there. And what will make it heaven is Jesus will be there in all of his glory. And having been cleansed, we can draw close to him and know him. And in knowing him, we experience the glory of God and the joy of that closeness. That's heaven. Amen? Good, you're still with me. All right. Point two. Let's move from heaven the place to heaven the people. Christ and his bride, heaven the people. Look in your Bibles at Revelation 21 with me. Revelation 21. So what is it that makes heaven on earth? Why is it heaven now here? Verse 2. The new Jerusalem. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The new Jerusalem, the city of God, is now coming to earth like a bride prepared for her husband. Notice he's equating the new Jerusalem, the city of God, to the bride of Christ, the church. And he says the same thing again in 21.9. Come here and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away and showed me the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Now what does that mean? Well, God's people in heaven will come to earth. And the coming is like the bride coming to a groom for the giant feast after the wedding. God's people will be beautiful, be cleansed. It will be a celebration as all the blessings of heaven in Christ are brought to earth because heaven has come to earth because Christ is here. Now, what makes it heaven is the fact that Jesus will be here. Verse 3, look in your Bibles with me. Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Matthew 19, 28. Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. My friends, think about what's said here. The whole point of verse 3 is to point out the significance of what's happening. The significance of the new Jerusalem. Christ will now dwell with his people in communion and intimacy with all the effects of sin done away with. And the result is verse 4. 
The earth is new because God is here. And gone are tears and death and mourning and crying and pain. They've all been passed away. Now, think about the big picture. In the beginning, God dwelt with his people in the garden. The fall brought sin and separation from man and God and man and creation. Then the promise of salvation came through Abraham. God made his home in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Then Christ came and God makes his home in our heart. And when he comes again and cleanses all things, he will dwell with us in physical form. Again, close to his people. Last thing. Body and soul together. Body and soul together. I am hitting you with the fire hydrant of water and I realize that. But I think it's good. And I'm trying to connect some pieces. Body and soul together in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. Let me read this. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Jesus is the first fruits. What happened to Jesus will happen to all believers by faith. You will be given a new body that is imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. Spiritual being led by the Holy Spirit. So we will not flee this world. We will not shoot off. It will not be destroyed like the Death Star. For heaven as God destroys it with fire, it'll be just the opposite. Christ has not just wed you to God forever. He has brought together again heaven and earth. And we will know, worship, commune, and enjoy God through Christ forever. And we will never stop growing and discovering and knowing all the amazing things about who God is. One of the best things about being a pastor is, is doing weddings and getting people uh, together and giving them an understanding of what marriage is. And one of the things I see again and again and again is often young couples in their first couple years of marriage, one of them will come back to me and say, Rusty, I think I made a mistake. And maybe some of you thought that. And what's happening is they realize they didn't marry Jesus. And they thought they did. They married a sinner. And they begin to see and they begin to get tired of this person. They begin to get tired of knowing this person. The conversation kind of goes like this. How's your day? That's all right. What do you want for dinner? I don't care. Heaven will not be like that relationally. Listen, things in heaven and earth work completely opposite in this regard. On earth, things get tired and bored over time. Often we discover the sins or faults of someone and we go tired of getting to know them. But in heaven, we will increase in love, joy, excitement, worship the more we know Christ. In heaven, we will continually discover God's beauty. And so we will give and receive from God more and more love and joy forever. You might say it'll be a joy party. Our communion with Christ will grow closer and more intimate. And we increase over time in our knowledge and our worship as we know him. Let's close with this. 
Knowing Christ for all eternity will be like discovering the most amazing continent, the most amazing place where you pull up and you go out in the beach head and you say, whoa, look at these crabs. Look how awesome they are. They're yellow and black and purple and they stand on their head and they can do backflips. This is incredible. And then you pick something from the tree and you eat it and you say, I've never had anything so good. And the next day, you go further in and you discover more. You discover waterfalls and fish species that you'd never seen, flowers that make your heart come alive as you smell them. And the next day, you go further in and you discover more. That is what heaven will be. The most unboring place you've ever been because every day you will be discovering more of the glory of Jesus Christ. And it'll never end because he never ends. And every day the believer will launch more in worship as they discover more. It'll be the most exciting eternity we've ever had or could have. I don't think I have anything else to say. (laughs) Let me just close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much. And we long for that day. Lord, we long for the day of Jesus to come again. Oh, what a day. When we get to draw close to him, we get to walk with him like Adam did with God in the beginning. Lord, when the curse of the world is over, when it produces what it's supposed to produce, when there are no more earthquakes and death and we don't see all the shame of the world, we don't see all the pain and the tragedy, and when the sin of the world, the suffering, the murder, the pillaging, is done away with. Lord, and we long for that day. We long most of all, and we praise and we rejoice that Jesus will be here. And our cup will be overflowing, Lord. Thank you for that. And thank you that that salvation is not by anything I do. It is simply by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His death, his resurrection, his ascension to conquer sin. And I receive it and I rest in it by faith and through repentance alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I invite you to stand? You'll take your hymnal and we'll sing hymn number 691, It Is Well With My Soul. We'll sing the first and the fourth verse. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well. It is. 
with the believers, and I'd love to get to know you better. Um, and let's, and then tonight is the Thanksgiving meal, and, and I hope you can come and just be part of, of giving thanks to the Lord there. Let's receive the benediction from Jude 24. You're welcome to receive your hands in the air like this, or receive it like that, or just keep them beside you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever and ever. Go in the grace and the peace that Christ will present us blameless to the Father when he comes again. Amen. <laughs>